0: Hello sisters, welcome back. So we are still going through the Gospel of John. We are now in chapter 4, and today we are going to be going through verses 1 through 29, which is the woman at the well. We're going to really break down this conversation that Jesus has with this very broken woman who has been ostracized from her own village. And we're going to learn so much from this evangelistic compassionate encounter that Jesus has with her and her amazing transformation. Remember, this is a teaching that I did live in front of people. So you will hear people talking or maybe some background noise. But the message remains the same. I pray that it blesses you today. Hi, family. Welcome to God's Word Transforming Lives. Are you wanting to learn the Bible verse by verse? one letter at a time, with real-life application, then this podcast is for you. My name is Amy, and I have been teaching the Word of God to women for over 15 years now. I came out of some trauma from my childhood, and it left me feeling so empty. And after searching high and low with everything the world had to offer, I always came up short, until I learned the Word of God for myself. And it was in that, that I became transformed. So if you would like to be transformed by God's word, then stick around and let's do this together. Did you know I have a free sisterhood community of women just like you? Women who love Jesus and they love one another. They too are looking for that deeper walk with Christ and they love learning his word. If you pause right now and click the link below in the show notes, it'll take you right to the Facebook group. We look forward to getting to know you. John chapter four, and be with me, Lord. This is this is really hard for me because there's, I'm telling you guys, it's so deep. There's so much that could be said and I have to like try to kind of, you know, can take it down a not. So what I'm hoping, what it does though, is whets your guys' appetites to where you go back and go deeper than what I'm taking you. That's what I hope this does. So John chapter 4 here. So we're going to get into, remember, John wrote this Bible, John John wrote this book in order to be an evangelistic book. He wrote this in order to show people Jesus' deity, that he is God, he is the Messiah, he is the Savior of the world. Now we're going to go into a portion of the story that's going to be very evangelistic. We get to see Jesus evangelize for the first time. And as we do that, we're going to take some notes because we're what? What are we? An evangelistic group, aren't we? So we're going to take some notes today and we're going to see some real beauty on how Jesus does it and who he evangelizes to and exactly how he does it. So just kind of remind you guys in the last when we were together last time, remember Nicodemus had come to him, talked to him, want to know about how to get saved. Nicodemus thought there'd be some work that he would have to do. Gospel of John uh, he writes in there and uh, he if I remember correctly, a hundred times he uses the word believe. Believe. That's yeah. why it becomes an evangelistic tool. So Yeah. He'll, he'll stay on and, and off, on and off believe, yeah. believe You must believe You must believe. be born again Okay so you know so here he, now he's coming into this part He talks to Nicodemus says you must be born again from heaven It's a free gift from heaven You can't earn it you can't work for it There's nothing you can do for it Right and so now we're going to go into another portion and, and remember we talked about how the Pharisees tried to make um, John's disciples jealous last time we were together that the ending there by saying jesus is they're baptizing more people than you and try to cause some division and it's kind of going to go into this in the first couple verses in chapter four here therefore when the lord knew that the pharisees had heard that jesus made and baptized more disciples than john though jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples did do we remember why jesus didn't do any of the physical baptizing you guys remember why we why Jesus would have not done it? He had his disciples oh, do it. Because of pride. Pride. Yeah. Man would have been I mean think about it. Jesus baptized me, but you got baptized by Peter. We would have I mean they would have used that. So Jesus didn't do that. He let his disciples be the ones to baptize. Because somebody would have built a religion on that. So you know, man is so good at doing that kind of stuff. Um uh v- verse 3. He left Judea and, a par- and departed again. To Galilee. So he leaves. It's not Jesus' time to be crucified. The Pharisees are starting to get very stirred up at this point. They're causing dissension. And so Jesus says, I'm going to go ahead and leave Judea. And I'm going to go somewhere else and start giving, giving my message. It wasn't his time to, to have the Pharisees try to you know, arrest him or any of that. Verse 4. But he needed to go through Samaria. Samaria was a town with pagans and Jews mixed together. There's a whole history there that you guys can go read on your own. But just to kind of set the stage, Jews did not walk through Samaria because they thought they would be defiled. They thought Samarians were dogs. They thought they were just unclean. They were very racist. We went through this last time. The Jews were actually very racist people. And so in order to not be defiled in their religion, they would walk around Samaria, okay? But Jesus says, man, I've got to go through Samaria. He could have walked around, but he had a mission. He had a divine appointment that he was about to to, to encounter. And he didn't care about man's religion. He didn't care about men's traditions. He didn't care about any of that. He was there to show the love of the Father to the whole world. He was there to bring salvation to everyone. So he says, I'm going to walk. So he had to walk through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, Sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So it was about noon. It's really hot. Jesus would have traveled um, about 20 miles, right? It been about 20 miles he was been traveling. He's absolutely exhausted. And that word "wearied" there literally means exhausted, depleted, cannot go anymore. This shows us Jesus' humanity. He got hungry and ate. He got wearied and thirsty and needed drink. This is part of the hypostatic union where Jesus was fully God. He was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. And he had to be 100% man in order to die for our sins. That was the only propitiation that God would have accepted because he needed to be the high priest and he needed to represent man. But he needed to be a perfect man, thus divine God, because only God is perfect. And so there's just that part of that hyperstatic union. It's about the sixth hour. It's about noon. It's high noon. It's very hot in Samaria right now. Very hot. And he's by this well, the well of Joseph, um, or Jacob, I'm sorry. Verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food couple things here as we're getting ready to see how Jesus evangelizes who he evangelizes to I want you to notice that he sent his disciples away to get food they did they all need to go all 12 needed to go get food like typically some would stay with him and then maybe some would go get food but he sent them all away he wanted to be alone with her and they would have had that, that, that skew, and we'll see that later. He, they would have had that, like, oh, we don't talk to women, and we certainly don't talk to Sumerian women. Because the Jewish men did not talk to women. They would not speak to you in public. They wouldn't even speak to their relatives, their w- w- female relatives in public. That was the law. And, so, and they definitely would, have been, would not have spoken to a Sumerian woman. And especially this Sumerian woman. Because we're going to see what kind of woman she was. He says to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Another thing that kind of breaks down the religion here is he sent his disciples to go buy food in Samaria by Samaritans and to spend their money in Samaria. That would have just never happened in Jewish culture. They were way too good for that. Here's Jesus again tearing down man's traditions, tearing down religion. Do you see that? He's just tearing it down. So verse 9, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, asked a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. How did she know he was a Jew? She didn't know Jesus. She had no idea who this guy was. But she knew he was a Jew. Because Jesus was a man, and Jesus would have dressed like a Jewish man. He would have had the Jewish robes, he would have had the, t- the exact type of clothes, and would have wore his beard and everything in the way of the Jewish law. And that's how she would have known that he was a Jew. And she was shocked that he's speaking to her. Because she knew all the traditions. She knew the Jew- how the Jews treated the Samaritans. She knew what the Jews thought of her and her countrymen. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you just knew who the gift, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus looks at her and goes, if you just understood who I am, you would ask me and I would give you living water. He turns it around now. Now he's going to start evangelizing to her. Now he's coming up to this woman who has no idea who he is. She has no idea about religion. This is much like what we encounter, right? Very few people ever walk up to us and be like, how do we get saved? Can you tell me how to get saved? No, it's usually us going out and having to talk to somebody about Jesus, having to show them the living water, having to show them the goodness of God. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, if you just knew who you were talking to right now, you would be asking me for living water. And that is what it is with Nicodemus. He said, believe in the gospel. And he's telling her, ask and you shall receive. says, we have not because we ask not. It really is a free gift. The gospel of Jesus Christ is an ask, believe, repent. And it's a free gift of the transformed work of Jesus Christ. I want to kind of set up a little bit about who this Samaritan wo- woman is. The Samaritans had their own place of worship. So they had just enough Ju- Judaism Judaism to integrate with their paganism because they were they were what they would call it's what they would call half-breed. Okay, they were half what they what the Jews called half breeds because pagans were marrying Jews and they were having children. And so they had just enough of the Pentateuch That they had their own mountain, which they had their own temple that they worshipped God on. They had their own rituals, but they also had a lot of paganism inside those rituals. They had just enough Judaism to send them right to hell. They knew of God, but they weren't worshipping him the way he says to worship him. Can anyone think of a religion right now that I just described to you? Just enough Jesus, but then their man's traditions and paganism, come together in the name of Jesus, and they're not worshiping Catholicism, Catholicism. Catholicism. Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses. Catholicism is the big one. That's the big one. But you could also say the same about Mormonism and Jehovah Witnesses. They have just enough Jesus with their man's traditions and their books that they put it together, and they think they're serving the one true God, and they're not. And Jesus is going to get to that here in a minute. So understanding that this is where she's coming from is she's going to start talking to him because she's going to start kind of getting into this a little bit. I want you to understand this woman is an outcast. There's a reason why she's at the well at noon. Who is going to carry a 50-gallon drum all the way to a well at the high noon? Well, this woman. Why? Because she was an outcast. She was an adulterer. She was sexually immoral, and she was an outcast in her town. We're going to learn that she was married five times and divorced and now living with her boyfriend, having sex outside of marriage. The town would have seen her as an outcast. The town would have seen her as an outcast. The women would have mocked her, and so she certainly wasn't going to go to the wells early in the morning to draw water with the rest of the women because they'd have been like, oh my gosh, there's Jezebel. There's that little psh, 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 right? That's exactly what would have happened. Because she was an outcast in her town. So here she is, and here's Jesus. This is his first place that he's evangelizing. <coughs> Very interesting. So the woman says to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? She's being sarcastic here. She's being sarcastic. She's gonna. She's starting to say, listen, who do you think you are? You don't have a pot to draw water. This well is very deep. Who do you think you are? This is very typical. of When we start to preach the gospel to people, judge not lest there be judged. Right? The heart, a lot of times it's hardened. They don't really want what we're selling. They start to have a lot of cynicism. They start to ask questions. Who do you think you are? Why should I believe you're God? Right? So we're seeing that same, that kind of that same spirit. And she says, "Are you greater than our father Jacob, and who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and the and the livestock? Who do you think you are, Jesus? Who do you think you are? You're not greater than Jacob, the one that gave us this well, right? So verse thirteen, and Jesus answers her and says. Now, mind you, she's kind of mocking Jesus. She's being very sarcastic, very snarky. But let's see how Jesus responds to somebody like that. Whoever drinks of the water, this water, will thirst again. He shows her mercy. He shows her kindness. He doesn't get mad at her, tell her she's a heretic, you're going to hell, Hold up a big sign telling them they're nothing but flaming heretics and they're all going to hell right he shows mercy he gets it her heart is hardened she's hearing the gospel for the first time she's not sure to believe all this she has her tradition she has her paganism she has her sin but whoever drinks of the water that i shall give him will never thirst but the water that i shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. In the Old Testament, God was often referred to as the fountain of living water. He was was described that way, or he would describe himself that way in the Old Testament. She would have known some of the Old Testament. They had the Pentateuch. And so here's Jesus describing himself as the living water. The living water that you'll never thirst again and he's talking spiritual here remember with nicodemus he was giving analogies and talking spiritual with him about being born again and then nicodemus said what am i going to do crawl back up in my mom's womb and be born again he was using analogies he used analogies that he knew who he was talking to and understand they're standing there at the well it was a spring it was it was a spring fed well it had been used for thousands of years and still producing beautiful water So he was using an analogy that she might understand what he's trying to say. You'll never thirst again. If you get born again, you will have everlasting life. That is the regenerated work of the Holy Spirit, where we get regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we're then sanctified. That means made holy in the sight of God, and then justified. No longer Are we accountable for the sin that was against us? When we stand before God, we will stand there holy in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's what this everlasting life is. That's what he's now offering this woman. So he's offering this woman the goodness of God. When we preach the gospel, it's all about God. Bringing God glory. Showing the sinner that there is a good God, a good Father, a a God who died for your sins, a God that wants to give you everlasting life, that wants to take these sins away from you, that wants to take the burden, the wrath that abides on you. Remember at the end of last chapter, it literally says, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Before salvation, the wrath of God abides on us. That is a huge thing that's just sitting there waiting. It's abiding on us. And so here, Christ is giving that, and that's how we should give the gospel letting people know that God loves them, that God made a way. He's a good God. But then she's still not getting it, just like Nicodemus. Verse 15 the woman says to him, Sir, Give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come to have, come here to draw. Here's what she's thinking. Health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. I, This is awesome. I'll take what you're selling me if it means I don't have to come to this well every day anymore at 12 noon. That you're going to give me a water that's just going to be basically water that comes right from the tap is what she's thinking. Something that's going to be in my house where I don't have to leave my house anymore. I'm an outcast. I won't have to. And it's also said that she she passed up to two different wells to get to this one. Because she needed to be as far away from all the people to get her water because she was such an outcast. she, She would have been just mocked and tortured by these people being this basically a harlot she was a proverbs 7 woman this woman was a proverbs 7 woman she was a harlot but she now all of a sudden she wants what jesus has because in her mind on because her mind is on this earth she's thinking i won't have to go back to this well anymore i want to carry this big 50 gallon drum get it filled up pull it back to the take it back to the village, I'll take that. Come to Jesus because all the things he can give you in this earth. Come to Jesus because he'll give you health, he'll give you wealth, and he'll give you prosperity. Well, doesn't everybody want that? But see, that's the gospel that's being preached in America, and that's the gospel that's been being preached for about 50 years now. Health, wealth, and prosperity. Come to Jesus. He wants to just make your life so much better here on earth. Jesus never preached that gospel. Now, God is a good God. He gives us joy. He gives us peace. He, he helps us among trials. Does he take care of his children? Yes. Does he bless his children? Sure. But if you are blessed by God with material things, this so you can go and be a blessing to others. It's not to store up riches here. It's all going to burn up in the fire. So now what does Jesus do? Boy, She wants the gospel. Jesus doesn't stop there and go, oh, great. I'm so glad. Say this little prayer after me. You're saved. No. What's he going to do next? Jesus says to her, go call your husband and tell him to come here. Why do you think he did that? Let's find out. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. She's kind of like a half truth. She doesn't give the whole scenario. Still doesn't realize who she's talking to that she's talking to God who knows all things. So she just kind of says, well, I don't have a husband. Fails to mention she's got the live-in boyfriend. See, Jesus knew that. You have uh, said well that I have no husband. Jesus is preaching the whole counsel of God here. He's now confronting her with her sin. And he's making it personal. See, we can't just walk up to somebody and say, God is good, you're a sinner, say this prayer after me, and now you're saved. We have to make it personal. Why are they a sinner? What laws have they broken? What have they done to make themselves that they're sinners? Why is God's wrath abiding upon them? See, everyone in this room before salvation thought you were, you all thought you're good people. I don't think there's any murderers among us. And if there was, God can save you. But the point is, when we compare ourselves by ourselves, which Paul talks about in Corinthians, we become fools. See, it's easy for me to think I'm generally a good person because I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't I haven't killed a baby at 40 weeks. I haven't gone and raped anybody. So suddenly I'm looking kind of good. And I don't mind I don't mind walking granny across the street either. And I do go to church on Sundays and I give my money to the church. I'm looking pretty good here. Looking really good. Right? That's why we have to make it personal. What laws have you broken against God? What have you done personally to sin against God? And that's why we take people through the Ten Commandments when we do evangelism. They need to see that they were thieves. They were liars. They were adulterers. Because what does Jesus say an adulterer is? Anybody that looks on a woman with lust after them. Absolutely. You just look upon a woman or a man with lust and Jesus says you've committed adultery. And so now Jesus is making it personal I want you to understand he didn't just stop with the goodness of God, but now he has to show you God's full counsel, that he's a good judge, he's a righteous judge, and you're going to stand before him, and you're going to have to give an account of this sin. And if you're not clothed in Jesus Christ when you stand there, there's going to have to be a punishment because God is a good God, and he's a just judge. He's not corrupted, and he can't be bought. And you're not going to be able to stand there and say, well, I went to church every Sunday. I walked granny across the street. I didn't murder anybody. I was pretty much a good person. That's not going to fly. It wouldn't fly in a courtroom today if you got a speeding ticket, that you're a good person. You go to the father's house and you do this and you do that. So your honor, let me go of my speeding ticket. He's going to look at you like you're crazy and give you a $150 fine until you stop speeding. Because he's a good judge. Unless he's corrupted and you were able to get Steve to go there and give him $300 to let you off. But that's a wicked judge, and God is not that. So then the woman answers, says, so I have no husband. Jesus says, you, are, you say well that you have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have, he's not even your husband. So you spoke truly. Now, the reason why it's predicted that the reason why she likely had five husbands is because she was an adulterer. She was probably a serial adulterer. So you were allowed to get a divorce back then if you were committing adultery. She was likely committed to getting married and found some other guy that was a little cuter than this guy and started sleeping with that guy and they got divorced or what. You know, she, she was clearly a loose woman, okay? I don't, we don't think that she had five husbands that just happened to all die. And so she just kept getting remarried because that's kind of not the story here. That's kind of- She kinda, would have been free to remarry. Based right, on, absolutely. You know. No, and Jesus is, I mean, there's a reason why he's saying you've had five husbands. There's a reason why he's pointing that out. Okay, so anyway, so for you have five husbands and the one you're now with is not your husband and that you spoke truly. Now let's see her response. The woman says to him, sir, I perceive, I perceive that you are a prophet. She's like, how did you know that? There's no way you could have known that. And now here's what I want you guys to see. Her heart has now changed. She's heard the gospel. When somebody hears the gospel, the true gospel, and they're truly getting regenerated by God there is a follow-up of repentance. Now she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. In other words, she's asking, where do I go worship this God? Where do I go? I believe you. I believe what you're telling me about this everlasting life. I believe you about this living water. Where do I go worship? Do I go where my fathers go, the Samarians? Or do I go where the Jews go? I just want the right God. I just want the one true God. Can you please point me in the right direction here? She's ready to repent. She's ready to go worship. She's ready to be like, oh my gosh. The veil has been lifted. Christ has lifted the veil. Her heart has went from stone to soft. We see the gospel. We see the Holy Spirit moving here. And here's Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman... Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. What's Jesus saying here? I'm about ready to rip down every religious institution on this place. It's about to get real. Remember, Samaritans had their own temple where they worshiped the Jewish God in their temple, and the Jews had their temple where they worshiped the one true God, in their temple. 70 AD, we know that the Romans, went in, the Romans went in and they destroyed the temple, just as Jesus predicted that they would. Not one stone left upon another. Still to this day, that temple does not exist. But what we don't talk about is the same Romans actually went on the mountain of Gizias, I think it is, where their temple was. They also destroyed that temple in Samaria and they killed thousands of people that day, of Samarians. And that temple isn't there today either. So Jesus was doing a two-fold prophetic here. Physically, these temples are going to be torn down. But spiritually, at the cross, I'm about to tear down religion because it's about to change. The new covenant is coming, and I'm tearing it down. That's why the Jews don't have their temple anymore. And it's why God has not allowed it to be raised back up jesus that we are now the temples of god he lives in us now verse 22 you worship what you do not know we know what we worship for salvation is of the jews the god had chosen the jews to preserve the word of god god chose the jews to preserve the law to bring forth through the messiah the jews that's what they were used to do Jesus came for the Jews. He came to save the Jews. The Jews were his chosen people, the apple of his eye. He made a promise to Abraham. But the Jews rejected him. And that's why Gentiles now have the ability to be saved. Jew and Gentile, according to Romans, become or Ephesians, become one new man. This is how we were able to become one new man. No longer Jew, no longer Gentile, but one new body of Christ, his bride adopted in living as one new man for Jesus Christ with a new commission a new covenant that we need to now bring the kingdom of God to this earth for the lost and that's what he just ripped down. remember when Jesus died on the cross an earthquake came and the veil was ripped in two how symbolic. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such, a, such to worship him. Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. God is spirit. We will have the regenerated work of the Holy Spirit And we must worship him for who he is and who he has revealed himself to be in this Bible. Not who we have made up in our own mind, but who God has said he is. There's a lot of people out there today that are worshiping God, Jesus, and it's a different Jesus. Mormons say that God has flesh and bones, was born, lived a man. But then was so good that he got elevated into his own planet. Now has spirit babies, which is what you and I are, with some woman. Jesus and Satan are brothers and they basically drew straws to see which one would come and die on the cross for us. Know your theology, people. Because talk to any Mormon and you'll think they love Jesus. You'll think, man, they do a lot of good. They're out there pounding the pavement for him, right? And they say a lot of the same words. They use a lot of the same words that we use when they're describing him. And they're describing, but when you get into their actual theology, do you understand that they believe that as long as they do good works, they'll when they die, they'll get their own planet. Then they'll have as many wives as they want and they'll perpetually keep them pregnant. That is not a religion. I don't want to be perpetually pregnant in heaven. This is what you you got. We've got to worship the God of this scripture. Not man's traditions, not man's ideas, but what the scripture teaches who God is. And this is why we talk to you guys all the time. You've got to know theology and you've got to know doctrine. It doesn't make you a Pharisee to know that. It makes you smart so you're not deceived. Anyway, so we must worship him in spirit and in truth. You have to have the Holy Spirit in order to worship God in truth. Because this, this is foolishness to the natural man. The natural man cannot comprehend the word. You need the Holy Spirit in order to read his word and rightly divide it. But we need to rightly divide it. We have to rightly divide it. Now I understand there's religions out there, or there's people out there. that have gotten really heady, and it's all about theology and all about doctrine, and they've just gotten like really like Pharisaical. But that doesn't mean that we should like all of a sudden just become all spirit over here because we're kind of afraid to become Pharisees over here. There's a middle ground. There's a middle ground. There's a middle ground. We've got to know theology. We've got to know doctrine. We've got to know why we believe what we believe. We've got to know who God is. And the thing is, guys, I want to ask those that have been with us for at least a year and a half or so now. Has your worship changed since you have gotten to know God in a deeper way? Yes. 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 Because the more we get to know the one true God, the God of Scripture, the deeper we go in the Word, the greater and deeper our worship will go with Him, I'm telling you, it's just the truth. I've also noticed, like a lot of heretical mm-hmm. religions, they they teach from the top down, so you have to believe what the top, like the the top, of the hierarchy says. Yes, like your watchtower, tower, the Catholicism, Catholicism, Catholicism has their right, and lo- they all have books too that go with the Bible, supersede the Bible, um, you know. And this is why it's sola scriptura me you know what that means? Scripture alone. This is our final authority. This trumps our emotions, this trumps our experiences, this trumps any religion this is our final authority firmly believe that we are in the age of deception when antichrist comes that even the elect if possible would be deceived that's how great the deception is going to be on the earth and we're getting there they will take just enough scripture out of context they'll put a bunch of music to it and some light a light show and they'll be really cute behind the camera and they will convince you of their false teaching it takes time and discipline to know your word. This is why I make you guys bring your Bibles to the church. Mm. I want you looking up the scriptures. I want you to see. I want you <laughs> to start getting used to where is that in the word. Read it for yourself. Read the scripture above. Read the scripture below. What's the context? This is alive and active and God breathe in our life manual. I don't know it all myself. I am still being taught by the Holy Spirit too and always will be. But Paul says, none of us, we all three see that even Paul saw through that smoked mirror. And that keeps us humble. You have to know the God of this scripture. Don't just believe what man has taught you. Don't just believe what some YouTube video convinced you of. It is God alone. It is in Christ alone. By faith alone. It is not by works. And it does not matter. The works come after. My works came after. The true works. The works I was doing before was to make my own flesh feel better. The works I do now is because I just want to please the Father. I just want to lay crowns at his feet when I get there. It's all about him now. It's not about me anymore. We'll get through this here. The woman said to him, I know that you're the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, will he tell us all things? In verse 26, I love this. Jesus declares himself Messiah for the first time in scripture. And who does he declare it to? The outcast, the sinner, the woman, the one that the religious leaders that he came for. He didn't tell them first that he was the Messiah. He says, I am who you speak to, or I'm sorry. I who speak to you am he, I am. Remember I gave you guys the seven I am's in the very first week. It's still up. It should still be up on be the church. If you didn't print it out, he's saying, I am he, I am the Messiah that you're looking for he didn't give it to the religious leaders because Jesus didn't come for the righteous. He didn't come for the self-righteous like me back then. He came for the broken, the humble, the oppressed, the demon-possessed, the sinner. He came for the prostitute and the drug addict and the homosexual. He came for the ones that are sick and in need of a physician. Hallelujah. And so he declares himself for the first time right here to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, the Proverbs 7 woman, the harlot. And he says, I'm the Messiah. I am he. And I want you to see what she does. And at this point, his disciples come and they're marveled. That he had said, I'm sorry, I'm like so excited right now, please forgive me. That he marveled, talked with the woman, yet no one said, what are you seeking or why are you talking to her? The disciples were so like, they were marveled that he was speaking to this woman. And I've already explained why, but they didn't dare say anything. And then the woman... Then left her water pot. She doesn't even take her water pot with her. She's so excited. And she went on her way into the city and said to the man, come and see a man who told me all the things I've ever did. Could this be the Christ? And I'm going to end there tonight. But I want you to see just like you guys remember in chapter one when, when Simon, found out, it was the, figured out that Jesus was here. When Peter, when they figured it out, they went running to their best friends. They went running to their brothers. She does the same thing. She goes to the men that are waiting at the gate. Now, these men would not have even wanted to talk to her. They would not even want to be seen with this Harley. Could you imagine your husband talking to, like, the greatest <laughs> prostitute? And you'd be like, "We mm, what are you talking to her for? Right? But she didn't care. She didn't care about who she was anymore. She just wanted Jesus Christ. She wanted the one true God. And she was going to go tell everyone in the village that she met the Messiah. And what are we doing with the gospel? If you've got a touch from a supernatural God, you've been transformed. Are you running and telling everyone you know? I know the Messiah. He's here. I've met him. He's transformed my life. I know what I used to be. I know that when I'm coming to you, I know that what I was. But i got to tell you, I've been transformed. I'm not that person anymore. I've had a, superna- a supernatural encounter with the one true God. And I've got to tell you about him. I gotta tell you about my Jesus, because guess what, guys? I don't have post-traumatic stress disorder anymore. Do you know I don't have post-traumatic stress disorder no more? I don't have panic attacks. I don't have anxiety attacks. I don't have depression. Suicide fled from me. I'm not on any pills. No drugs. Nothing. I don't need humanism. I don't need any of that. I have Jesus. He saved me and set me free. That is my testimony. Now, you may not want that testimony. You may want think that that can't happen for you, but he's no respecter of man, and he did it for me. I don't know why he wouldn't do it for you. My best friend can testify the transformed life, and so can my husband. My husband got to see the real Jesus in me because I'm a transformed woman, and he knows. He knows it's God because he knew me before, and he knows me now, and he knows. He's crying. I see it. He's, he's, he's crying because that's a touch from God. And some of you in this room, people that knew you just a month ago or 3 months ago or 6 months ago. I've had them in my inboxes. What a difference. Thank you sisters for listening to this wonderful message and I pray that it encouraged you and that you too see the compassion that Jesus has not only for you but for all the broken and lost and weary in this world. And as I again as I mentioned things like the doctrine of imputation and the hypostatic union and reconciliation, these terms, what do they mean? I have a 15-week study guide that goes deeper into these theology or doctrine discussions that will just bring your walk with the Lord so much deeper as you go through scripture through this 15-week study. And you can go at your own pace, but you're going to learn so much beautiful Orthodox Christian truth about our faith that will be transforming for you. I know it was for me. And you can get that on Amazon and it will be in the show notes. So Lord, I just lift up my sisters to you and I ask that you just continue to bless them and keep them and shine your face upon them. Lord, that you are working in each one of their lives in such a way, Father, that they are being transformed day by day, looking more like your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you that we have your beautiful word that we can, that we can scour through and see the goodness of Jesus Christ and his love and his compassion for the broken and the lost, Father. Help us, Lord, to take seriously our walk in this life and that we would be so excited and reminded of our salvation and our transformation that we would want to go back and tell our villages, the sphere of people and influence that we have around us about this beautiful Messiah, Jesus Christ, and whom we've had an encounter with. Lord, I pray over everyone's, um, their finances and their relationships and their lost loved ones and and that you would just answer their prayer requests with yes and amen, Father, that you are developing the desires in our heart towards what you would have us to do and and that you give us those desires, Father, in their fullness so that when we meet you face to face, we will have the crowns and the gems to lay at your feet, that we will hear, well done, my good and faithful servants. Until next time, Lord, thank you for everything that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, sisters. Have a wonderful week. Family, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If it has blessed you in any way, would you give me 30 seconds and share it with a friend of yours? One more small little favor, if you would. Head over to whatever podcast source you're listening to this on and give me a five-star review. That would be so great. It helps get the episodes out there to other people who may be wanting to learn God's word. Again, don't forget guys, until next time, it is a crockpot faith, not a microwave. With God's word, discipleship, and patience, you too will be transformed for his good work. Grace and peace I leave with you until next time.